game is so beautiful, you know. Come play. The page dynasty is the newest rage. Maybe you've played, maybe you've made a trade. Made list, and now these fish are all up on ya. I mean, you won three ships, they wish they had your So, this is it. You wanna learn the game. 101 pick when it hits, you feel no pain. Praying for the fantasy championship. Hit the books, kid. Read this pamphlet called the Owner's Manual. It's automatic D dynasty. It, it's automatic owner's manual. It, it, it's automatic D dynasty. It, it's automatic. <laughs> and here are your authors Chris Allen and A A Adam Wildy. All right, and everybody, welcome back. It's the episode eight of the Dynasty Owners Manual Podcast. We are here with yet another great guest for you guys uh, this week. We are here with Peter Howard, and Peter, he's a writer over at DLF. Uh, you've seen some of his work over at Roto Underworld. Videos, uh, long epic Twitter threads that I've had to read through and take notes on and have to go back to the very beginning in order to figure out what the hell all of that stuff means because it hurts my brain. I mean, you've seen him on Twitter. So, Peter, thank you again for taking the time uh, to sit down and chat with us this evening. But how are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good and no problem. I'm uh, really happy you asked me to come on here. Uh, following John Bosch and Carl Safchek, I feel a little out of my depth. To be honest with you, on the Dynasty Owners <laughs> Manual, but I'm going to try and do as good a job as I can. Oh, we know you'll do just fine. I mean, especially when it comes to the topic that we're going to get into this evening. I know you listened to uh, Addison Hayes, uh, his interview or the, our talk that we had with him last week. And really, we wanted to get the folks interested or to get them a little bit more knowledgeable in the area of analytics. And after speaking with Addison last week, we figured the next best person to talk to would be yourself because you've done some, some great works in terms of making projections, uh, QBR, things of that nature. And that's why we kind of brought you, brought you on tonight to kind of get into that. And we'll just go ahead and jump right into it. And I was listening to uh, your video on YouTube yesterday in terms of uh, making projections. And I think it was, uh, I think you kind of jumped into a spreadsheet, uh, or at least a, a complete workbook that I think it was put together by Justin Freeman, if I'm not mistaken. And, yes, it was, yeah. Yeah, and I wanted to at least from a 10,000-foot view, can you, can you kind of kind of walk me through the process? Like where would I even start if I wanted to get into making projections? That's a really great question. Starting on the 10,000-foot level, like you said, first thing I do is follow Justin Freeman. Um, <laughs> he's, he's a really good follow. He's a great guy. And one of the things he does, well, I think he's still doing it. I didn't check. Um, was it's like his pinned tweet. If you donate to No Kid Hungry, he gives you a projections model, essentially. Um, and that's where I started. So I was just interested in projections, um, and I'm doing a lot with numbers, and I thought that was the next logical step. And his tweet's literally like, hey, why go to the trouble of building your own when I can just set you up? And it's like minimum donation of $5. It's a really great charity. And he just gives you this thing, which is awesome. And I can't really explain the amount of legwork. Like, I've learned a lot about how to build um, spreadsheets and models lately. And Justin Freeman's the hard work and the legwork he's already put into that thing that he just sends you like it's nothing. 
um, is, I mean, it's really impressive. Um, just from a, how he built it and everything else. Now, what I did from there was severely twist <laughs> and mess up all his beautiful work <laughs> for myself because I wanted to use a whole bunch of other things that weren't in there just because I'm a deviant, to be honest. Um, but that would be the first thing I'd do. And then I would ask him. I mean, like everyone, he's got a life and he's pretty busy. But if he doesn't get back to you, it's probably because he's been busy. He's a really great guy. He will answer questions. He will give you warnings, like stay away from those elite numbers. And he's made a lot of it very step-by-step. Step. He's very much given you a walkthrough. There's a brief description at the front. And through every page, there's like a little cheat sheet that only uh, like uh, even a dummy like myself can actually <laughs> and start with just to begin and to start making projections. Another person to follow is Anthony Amico, Adam Meester. And he did a similar thing. He set up a Google sheet and gives everyone the link and is like, hey, you want to make some basic assumptions about what a player is going to do? This sheet will create projections for you. And that's pretty awesome as well. He's using some great metrics in that as well. So those would be my first two steps. I'd go follow those two guys and I would try. That's really how I, I start everything. I'm like, I want to do this or I want to know this. Let's do the really uh, rational and, um, what's the word, um, impulsive thing <laughs> and just jump right in. Let's just start doing it. It's like um, playing the game before you read the owner's manual, right? It's how, it's how most of us, I think, learn um, learn better. Sometimes <laughs> we learn we could have backed up uh, and should have read the owner's manual, but uh, <laughs> at least we learn where we make our mistakes. And I, that's how I enjoy doing most of this, jump, jumping in. Um, nice plugs. Exactly. Be, yeah. <laughs> well, even if you don't get into projections, they're both two really good followers. So I figure I can't go wrong. And um, yeah, that's how it would start. Basically, all projections are you make assumptions about how efficient a player is and how much volume they're going to see. And then you just need something that's going to give you an, a, the result of those two things, right? Now, so, which one's more important of the two to you between the volume and the player? From a projection standpoint? Yes. Well, I think you have to get both right. I think efficiency is probably the more important one to try and lock down and get better at because it's the least stable year to year, the hardest to define year to year. Like for running backs, for example, the only efficiency metric we really have, and uh, if you never stop to think about it, this might not have occurred to you because it didn't to me. The only thing we have to tell us how efficient a running back is on a broad level, if you look up basic, uh, you know, the things that stream in through MFL or ESPN to tell you how good a running back is next to their fantasy points. It's really fantasy position, which is a weird measure of how well a player is doing, and yards per attempt or yards per rush. And there, that sucks. That literally right, tells you almost nothing about a player, right? Um, sure. So getting better at that or getting that right, especially since it changes so often because it's such a bad stat for projection or prediction is really important. On the other hand, volume is much more stable, uh, but I also think it's much more important in that way because it is more stable, right? If we can identify which players are getting the ball the most, either thrown to them or that they're running it that much, that's incredibly valuable information to know. But because it's more stable, it's a little easier to work with. But doing projections specifically, that's where you kind of have the fun, to be honest with you. I think that the Detroit Lions are going to run 10 times more than they have done in the last two years. 
um, and that changes what those players are going to do. So that's where you get to make your assumptions. Efficiency is something you have to nail down for a lot of hard work and thinking about how efficiency works. Um, but volume is something that you get to play with and have fun where you make the assumptions about what teams are going to do. So both are very important for two very different reasons. I'd probably say volume is more fun and more useful for projections. So. That seems to be the popular opinion is the volume is going to stay consistent with the coach. For the most part, the coaches aren't going to change their offense very often. So the volume is going to stay pretty consistent. So I guess I could see it. I just care a lot about what the actual player has done in trying to figure out what the player will do. And I think that's a good point to kind of as a jump off point, because if you can at least estimate. So let's see that we were we were talking with Addison Hayes like last week about Christian McCaffrey and like how much volume he can or at least how many how many points we can see him projected to score this upcoming season. Well, at the very least, we can at least assume that he's going to still maintain at least a similar level of volume. Now, what he does with those touches, that might change and it might not even change too much, depending, you know, depending on if you looked at his outlook before C.J. Anderson was signed or afterwards, but at least the volume is still going to be there for him. We at least know that from from his rookie season now on into into his second year, we know that he's still going to be projected for at least a, a you know a decent number of touches, two hundred plus at the very least. So looking at that, I think is a is an easy jump off point to start looking at a player's outlook from you know from season to season. Uh, but now digging in a little bit more with the projections, I know you look at a number of different uh, stats, as you just mentioned, whether they be uh, efficiency metrics or what or volume metrics. Out of any of them that you can think of off the top of your head, which do you find to be some of the essentials? Like I heard in the video you were mentioning uh, like racer, the conversion ratio that the great Josh Hernsmeyer, again, hashtag never Julio, kind of uh, put together. <laughs> I mean, are there any others that you can think of that you find to be most, regardless, I mean, it could be position independent, but are there any essential uh, metrics that you find that as dynasty owners or even just fantasy owners in general, these are the metrics that we should concern ourselves with when we're looking at a player's outlook year to year? Yeah, very much so. That was all, that was all fantastic. Yeah, sitting in the chair Addison was last week is actually a pretty big deal for me. Uh, that's, that's pretty awesome. Addison's been a lot of help using the FS statistics, and I'm getting a lot of information. And I steal his data regularly, and he's yet to have me locked up. So that's cool. <laughs> Shout out to Addison. In terms of Christian McCaffrey, I think you're exactly right about we can rely on volume to a certain extent. Even with rookies, it tells us something about the player. It doesn't tell us everything. But it does tell us something about a player, right? Um, and there are some things that are more stable, especially with running backs, year to year, even from their rookie year forward. Like Christian McCaffrey had an insanely high target share in his first year. Uh, where it's only one year, you have to uh, make some assumptions still. The more, the more of a sample size we have in anything, the more confident we can become in it. But the fact he had high targets tells us that he can handle that workload? Does it tell us that he definitely will get, I think it was 19% in his rookie year target share? That's that's really high for running back, so in that way it's unlikely. But it does tell us he's definitely going to be a part of Carolina's passing game. And like you say, where they've done so little to add to their uh, rushing game, um, you can easily project him for over 200 touches. Um, but you can also assume some other things where it's only been one year. And what about any metrics that you think are important for us to consider at this point? I think efficiency is definitely where I would go with that. Efficiency is really difficult to tie down. It's something that is not sticky year to year. 
um, for in any individual player. And that's before you get to things like running back doesn't have a good effic- efficiency metric. We are fortunate right now, and this is one of the reasons I started getting interested in projections as well, that we actually benefit from things like Racer from Ayards.com and Josh Hernsmeyer and also Fantasy ADHD has a great site, which I think is offline at the moment because um, he's going to do something even more awesome <laughs> with Roto Grinders. So I'm excited about that. And his website was fantasyadhd.com. And I've stolen lots of data from there as well. <laughs> so I'm, just a, I'm just a thief, really. You've got a thief on your program following it out of some, <laughs> which is probably a downgrade, but there you go. So Racer, it's a superior efficiency metric, um, especially in terms of stability and what it tells us about an individual player. And so we've got lots of good stuff coming with receivers, with tight ends, with receiving running backs that works as well. Um, although efficiency metrics in the receiving game for running backs are kind of the wild west. They get a little crazy. And um, if we start talking about it in depth, I'll explain a little bit more about what I mean about that. But um, with rushing, you're kind of making it up a lot more than with receiving. So that's what I would say about good efficiency metrics. Um, air yards, racer, um, even pacer, if you want to do it top down through the QBs, um, helps us be a lot more pre- predictive and certain in our projections or our understandings of what a player is with running really we're on our own someone needs to do better with that or there are there is some encouraging work with evaded tackles i think it's graham barfield who works with um college rookies and projects them based on how many evaded tackles he had in college i don't have that data but i do have some of it from player profiler for example on nfl running backs and that actually seems better as an efficiency metric. And you also have yards after potential tackle point that I really wish I could remember who created that data, but I heard that on a podcast too, and that's been my favorite so far. Before we move on from projections, though, could you let us know what racer and what pacer is, please? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a lot better to uh, go follow those two guys I mentioned, Fantasy ADHD, Josh, and Josh Hermsmeyer. So I like uh, the guys for it. In my opinion, uh, Josh Hermsmeyer was really the one that created Racer. Um, but if I remember right, Racer is receiver air conversion ratio. That's what RACA stands for. And all it's telling you is how effectively a player is turning air yards into receiving yards. It tells you a lot about what he is doing with the amount of distance he is get, being given by the quarterback, right? And the other one I mentioned was Pacer, which is kind of the same same thing. It's passer air conversion ratio, if I'm not mistaken. on nice. my acronyms there. Uh, he's uh, actually one of the... If you're interested in that, it's really fantastic information. It's definitely something you should check out. Josh Hermsmeyer has an article. If you just like Google racer, uh, air yards, what, <laughs> or something in the with those combinations of words, and Josh Hermsmeyer's name, an article will come up on Rotor World, actually, where he goes through not only air yards, but also racer and explains what they're useful for and how useful they are. And that was actually my first starting point in understanding racer so i really recommend that article as well those were a build off of like some of clay's work with adot wasn't it if i'm not mistaken very much yeah yeah i think yes uh josh hansmeyer has credited clay numerous times because adot is intellectually the same Mm -hmm. um as ayards it's just kind of like the inverse um i use adot and ayards and racer all together you really need to know adot to use or even get air yards because they're like they're not measuring every 
pass, what you do is with the end of year totals, you measure how far a quarterback threw it and then the yards after the catch, and then you get the average depth of target, which again is intellectually the same as AR. It messes with my mind a little bit actually to think about how A dot is basically the exact same thing of air yards because with air yards you have like one thousand one hundred nineteen with A dot you have eight point four and that doesn't right, seem that to be the yeah. exact same thing but <laughs> yeah. it is actually the same thing so yeah A dot and Mike Clay's work is, is pivotal in racer and everything else before we get into the QBR talk which is uh, definitely a topic that uh, both Adam and I wanted to talk with you about. And when it comes to some of the statistics and metrics that we've uh, that we've discussed, so I know there are two. I guess there are two frames of mind when we come to looking at statistics. I mean, we look at some that are uh, descriptive stats, and then like predictive stats, and like some of the, the other term for it would be sticky stats, things that you can use year to year. But does a stat like does it have to be sticky in order for it to be useful for us as fantasy owners? Because I would. I mean, I could see the case where if you were to look at, let's say, even the most basic of you know descriptive stats, whether they be uh, like yards per attempt that you were discussing earlier, yards per rush, they can be useful given context in that light. But would you rather would you rather just stick with stats that we can say are predictive or have that predictive nature to them? It's a really great question. I guess where I start with it is we can get, um, especially lately because i've been learning a lot of it very focused on predictive stats those neat little graph lines that give you a tidy r squared hopefully north of 0.3 and we can get a little snobbish about well if it doesn't tell me anything about what's going to happen then i'm not interested but yeah everything has value to draw my history background here everything is context right so a propaganda poster doesn't tell you anything about what people are actually like at a certain time in history, but it tells you a lot about what people wanted the public to think about what people were like. So it's all context. So a descriptive stat is exactly that. It describes something, and hopefully it describes it very well. And so, yeah, they definitely all have value. It's, it's all context and what you're looking for. As an example, uh, one of the things I was doing lately with quarterbacks was uh, looking at what efficiency metrics line up with either touchdowns or production or fantasy and just looking for trends that I could use to then try and understand the quarterback position better. One of the things I found was that Acer, going back to those air yards metrics, does not correlate very well to touchdowns or touchdown percentage or anything to do with touchdowns. Now, that sounds like a bad thing if you're only interested in sticky stats. What it tells you is that Pacer is unrelated to touchdowns, which actually is really important information. It means it's telling you some, it's not telling you about touchdowns, it's telling you about something else, which to me means it's probably more trustable as a metric to explain what the player is doing. Because the other thing that we know is that touchdowns are random, right? Basically, they're essentially random. For sure. Absolutely. Predict them. And so if it's not related to touchdowns, then it's not related to something which is incredibly volatile. So that's probably a very positive time sign for Pacer. And so everything tells you something. And the other thing I would say is everything is probably sticky and everything is probably not sticky, depending on what you're comparing it to, right? So, yeah, I think especially me as I'm doing more of this and desperate trying to learn as much as I can about uh, what's sticky, what's not sticky, R-squared, math in general, to be honest with you, that we can get focused on neat trend lines and what is sticky. 
but everything has a use. And sometimes not being sticky or not being predictive can be incredibly valuable to understanding what's going on. So, Peter, hearing you talk about stats, um, probably the most informative stat from the information that I read from you in terms of quarterback was your adjusted QBR metric, which I just found phenomenal. Before we get into the adjusted QBR, though, <laughs> there's two very important elements. Could you explain to us what a money throw is and what uh, an interceptable pass is in terms of your addition to the QBR metric? Yeah, I'd be happy to try. <laughs> money throws and um, uh, interceptable passes are two categories that uh, the team at player profiler look for when they're watching games and they count right so they define a money throw as a throw a quarterback makes which is money something that is an excellent throw and i think they're specifically related to um in the red zone i think they're connected to high value how high value plays go to player profiler glossary (laughs) and it has definitions of all their terms there as well just in case i do a bad job i'll put that as my way you can find out exactly what they are interceptable passes are exactly what they sound like when a quarterback throws a pass that is interceptable right we all know that there is some noise even in just cumulative counting stats right a quarterback completed x amount of passes seems very definite until you watch Blake Bortles throw and you're like "Mm, not all of those were meant to be completions right some Alan Robertson made a fantastic play or Marcus Lee just killed it or got in the way or deflected the ball away so the defender didn't catch it. Some quarterbacks are getting more lucky than others in that way. And so that creates some noise in their actual counting stats. And so what money throws and interceptable passes are trying to do is cut some of that noise out. They're trying to say, how well did the quarterback throw the ball no matter what the result of the play was? How well did the quarterback do when he threw the ball and it wasn't intercepted regardless of what the receiver or the defender did. And so it's just trying to be more effective at explaining what the player is doing rather than what the result of the play is. And I've always found QBR to be a pretty flawed metric since I've been seeing it since I was a kid. And so it was very exciting to see that you created this article. Now, after explaining money throws and interceptable passes, how has it increased the reliability of QBR and essentially allowed us to use it? I don't know whether it has yet. It's the first thing I'll put on there. Since we were just talking about sticky statistics, don't have enough of a sample size. We don't have enough money throws and interceptable passes over time to know if they're sticky or how sticky they are or how useful they can be. But one thing that we do know is I'm not going to get their names right because I didn't even get them right when I was writing it on Twitter and they called me out for that. <laughs> but uh, on um, rotoviz.com, Eric Edgar and George Carayo. <laughs> and they did an article on Rotoviz where they inserted similar metrics that Rotoviz has been a longer time into QBR. And um, I wanted to do the same thing. And what I have with player profile is money throws and interceptable passes. So, so much of it, like you were talking about with running backs, how yards after contact and other stats that I don't necessarily have access to. I don't have PFF money, for example, but I use what I can. <laughs> To try and do what I can and then try and give it away so that, you know, that's the value rather than my analysis. And, and so really I was trying to replicate what they had did on Rotoviz. And what they found is it actually made the, that, of, that metric, like say QBR or just a QBR or whatever you want to call it, more sticky and more descriptive as well of what a, 
quarterback is actually doing year to year. And so you, since I'm piggybacking on their methodology, I'll say we have some evidence from uh, you know established, very smart guys that say this should make it a lot more sticky, a lot more descriptive as well um, of what the players are actually doing. Now, for my part, the only testing I could do, since I really only have one year of data to work with, was compare how it did for that year. And what I found is it actually increased its predictiveness of fantasy points um, by 0.04, actually. It, it went up from um, 0.15 to 0.19. And that doesn't sound a lot, but like in the in the wild west that is NFL statistics, a 4% bump is actually a pretty big deal in oh, R-squared, yeah. um, in my opinion, not that I'm anywhere near an expert in it. And so that was at least a very positive sign for what adjusting QBR had done. It made it more descriptive of their actual performance in fantasy. To build off of that, so I was taking a look at it, and this is more of a philosophical question than anything else. And I don't think that this was how you intended adjusted QBR to work, but it would just, as I was reading through the article, it kind of got my gear spinning. So I wanted to bounce this off of you. So could you in any way, shape, or form use some of the metrics that create adjusted QBR to look at maybe offensive coaching tendencies? Because if you're looking at just solely the quarterback himself, as he's running the play that's that was given to him by his either the head coach or the you know or the OC, is there a way to look at how they operate within the game? You know, looking at this, how they approach either the way either the the way that the defense is lined up or or what have you, based off of what you've put into adjusted QBR. Like if you looked at splits in and out like if they were uh, versus top or bottom rank defenses home or away those sorts of things like with all the information that you that you combined into making adjusted qbr do you think there's a way that you can kind of maybe pull that data out in any way shape or form yeah i i, I think that's really interesting that you've taken that from the article i i think it's a fascinating question to be honest with you i don't know i haven't tested any of that i haven't looked at it i haven't done defense and part of me wants to say, you know, uh, could I just get better at quarterback before you start asking me to get better oh, at yeah. defensive line? <laughs> One at a time, okay. <laughs> um, but uh, maybe. Um, what I would say about coaching tendencies is, I, if I'm understanding the way you're describing them, um, or asking about them, rather, I think they're fairly overblown. I mean, I know a lot of people do a lot of work, but they seem to put in, like, back-breaking amounts of work, and I'm not sure what the edge they provide is, which is why it's hard to win in any money competitions. People are willing to put in back-breaking amounts of work for like half a percentile advantage, so I'm not saying it's not worth it in that way. But um, generally, I I think the players are much more important than the coaches. I I think the definition of a good coach is a person who could read their roster, see where they're strongest, see where they're weakest, and lean on their strengths, right? And try to write plays or design play calling around avoiding their weaknesses or bolstering that weakness. So that tends to be, as far as my thoughts go, on, on play calling. As far as defense goes, or, or how the adjusted QBR goes to it, um, I think it's a really fascinating thought, but my main goal with adjusting QBR was to take all of that context kind of out of it. I just wanted it to be focused as much as I can on how the quarterback actually performed, right? So I was taking out the variance of 
whether a defense a defender made a good play or whether a wide receiver made a good play or a bad play. So I think it's fascinating, but my goal was to take all of that out as much as I could and focus as much as possible on the performance of the individual quarterback. It's impossible to actually focus on just that because dependent on everything else. That was my goal, really, to focus on the actual um, performance of the individual player over the context around them. I really like what you mentioned about coaching tendencies because we like to consider coaching tendencies as a sticky stat. Andy Reid has only ran one running back ever, so in the future he's only ever going to run one running back, and that's one of the more solid stats that we keep that in our pocket and save it. But do you think that Andy Reid's ever on the sideline saying, well, I would really like Spencer Ware in this situation, but since I only ever use one running back – I'm just going to go ahead and go with Kareem Hunt. That's not exactly how it works. So I'm glad that you mentioned the coaching tendency so I could get that out there. But in terms of the adjusted QBR and Chris's question, I think that what you did mitigated the QBR in the sense that it would have allowed uh, you to examine some of the coaching tendencies and things like that prior. And I think what you did was dialed in a little more on the quarterback. So perhaps relieving of us of some of that usage that Chris had mentioned, but allowing us phenomenal usage for the quarterback himself. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a really interesting place you could take it. I just honestly haven't taken it there. I normally try not to venture into If I haven't looked, I don't want to guess, uh, right? Um, one thing I would say is I was arguing against Kareem Hunt before it was cool, um, yep. and obviously to my own detriment. I thought that his range of outcomes as a rookie based on his profile was a lot wider than his ADP was at a certain point in last off season. And I lost that bet, obviously. <laughs> Very spectacularly. <laughs> but one of my things was that, well, we can look at some coaches and say, this is sticky, this is certain. Andy Reid has been amazingly consistent with his running backs, but there's also the argument he's had these amazing running backs. And I still don't think we can really say that isn't true either. I mean, Kareem Hunt could be could have been great on this profile or he could have been mediocre. He's being great. I still don't I'm still not sure I want to put that on Andy Reid more than I want to say actually it's Kareem Hunt. And the other thing is everyone seems to forget, like I'd never owned a lot of Jamal Charles because um while I've been playing he's been a high value running back and he's always just been drafted ahead of me. Uh where I pick or where I'm willing to take him. But I do remember an awful lot of Jamal Charles owners complaining week to week. In fact, I remember press conferences with Andy Reid saying, I promise to use him more next week. So all this narrative of Andy Reid running backs is true, but there's always been a little bit of inconsistency week to week and anger or frustration with Andy Reid. So I, I think there's a little margin for error in our certainty in coaching tendencies in that way. But I'm guessing at this point, I don't have exact numbers on that. And to add to that, I do believe that Andy Reid is relatively consistent in usage of his RB1. But that was just my example off the top of my head because he's the shining example of coaching consistency in terms of the Dynasty Fantasy Football community. But what I will say is that we were pulling our hair out last year during the season, seeing Charkandrick West on the field in situations right. that should have obviously been Kareem Hunt because maybe because he was the rookie, um, maybe he wasn't proficient in pass protection. 
But either way, I don't see any situation where Kareem Hunt should have been off the field. So just because Andy Reid's usage of his running back one is consistent, his usage of running backs whatsoever is very inconsistent. And he should have certainly used Kareem Hunt more than he did last year, which is why I ended up sitting Kareem Hunt in one of my playoff games and losing in one of my playoff games. So thank you, Andy Reid. Yeah, I guess that's also, to be fair to your point, that's almost part of his consistency that he, like with Jamal Charles every now and again, someone else would get the goal line carry or something like that. So I guess that's part of his consistency. He's going to lean up running back one, but also kind of frustrate you now and again. So yeah, that probably further proves your point. (laughs) (laughs) So working back towards what we were discussing a little bit ago, in terms of looking at just adjusted QBR, and your point's well taken in that you were just looking at, or you wanted to focus solely on the quarterback and how he plays, just kind of get rid of coaching tendencies to get rid of the defender makes good play on the ball and just focus on the quarterback. So now if adjusted QBR is just for the quarterback and air yards as the great Herm says is just for the receiver could you think of or do you think it's possible for us to try and figure out a way to combine the two metrics to try and see if there's let's say like a receiver archetype that benefits the quarterback the most in terms of what they do and how they typically operate so in the sense of I know that the the narrative right now is that well, Alex Smith is with the Redskins, so that means he's going to be a huge help to Jamison Crowder, and it's more or less just Paul Richardson and Josh Doxson are going to pick up the scraps. Now, is that necessarily true? I mean, as much as as much as you know, narrative fuels fuels that fire. I mean, does that really make sense, or is that something that we can project to see coming in the future, like based off of adjusted QBR? I think. I think I think about it backwards. I'm really, I, I wrote that article in March and I've been doing a lot of digging into the quarterback position still, but in this, since then, but with the way I do projections, I really work the other way around. I look at the receivers and the running backs and they their performance projects a quarterback. That's the way Justin Freeman's sheet works. Um, and honestly, it's more of the way I think about what happens on the football field. Now, sample size is everything and we have this really big sample size of of Alex Smith doing exactly what you say, preferring a certain ADOT, preferring a certain receiver, preferring a certain type of throw, the least scary throw, which in some ways is nowhere near a negative thing. I actually wouldn't hammer Alex Smith for that too much. You want a certain amount of risk aversion in your quarterback. You just also want a certain amount of risk taking. It's a, this intricate balance that's hard to actually define unless you just Aaron Rodgers, right? So that's the perfect balance that we want. And, by and large, though, I think the other way of thinking about the way production is made actually works um, on a generic level. Ignoring the large sample size of Alex Smith for a second, I think the reason that Jamison Crowder is targeted where he is, what his ADOT is, is largely to do with him. I think uh, Jarvis Landry's ADOT is largely to do with him. That's where they get open. That's where they make a play. The quarterback sees that play and goes, that guy and just throws it to them. So I think largely where a player is targeted has a lot to do with what they do on the field. Now, a lot of that is going to go back to coaching, so we're going to get fuzzy again. It's where a player is deployed. Like, I still can't believe Jordan Matthews is a slot receiver. That makes no sense to me. You've got this player that is one of the most dominant outside wide receivers in college history. Not like 
for that year or the last five years in college history, all of it. Jordan Matthews is this epic outside receiver, and then he goes to the NFL and he's a slot guy. I still can't explain that, but there are so few uh, outliers in this trend that I'm willing to say it's much more about what the player does than where a pl- what a player is asked to do. It's much more about where they get open than where a quarterback likes to target them. And to do to quarterbacks what I just did to coaching a little bit, a quarterback is going to throw to the guy who gets open where they get open. I think good and bad alike. Maybe some bad make more mistakes in that area, like like Bortles is going to see someone who wasn't open and goes, that guy looks good, and just throw it into triple coverage and get lucky or not. That's going to happen with to a certain extent outside of how good the quarterback is, though. I think mostly it's to do with where these players go. And I think that's one of the advantages of receiving statistics and efficiency metrics to cycle back to projections because a a wide receiver, to a certain extent, has this all for himself. Like, he can get open, he can not get open. He can make a play, he can not make a play. After that, it's dependent on him actually getting the target, true, but he has more independence over what happens over his performance. Whereas if you switch to running, and this is why running back efficiency is different, like, people, players that are standing around doing nothing on the field, like, having a cigarette like Jay Cutler or something, they have an effect on the running play, right? Like the quarterback sees them, they obstruct something, or they're part of the read for the quarterback and the defense. So even if they do nothing on that play, they have an effect on the efficiency of that play. Whereas to a certain extent, anyone catching the ball or running a route has more independence, has more control over how efficient that play is going to be. And so I think largely the players have more control over where the ball is going in the receiving game than in the running game. So do you think that we can find tendencies based off that? Uh, Yeah, I think we can find tendencies, but I think it's a lot more tendencies about what a player does. It's why I've had to finally just accept Jarvis Landry is really, really good at this one thing. I still don't know this one thing is really good for winning football games, but he is epically awesome (laughs) what he does like historically great um where he gets open so yeah (laughs) you've teed me up on a lot of topics peter and i'm gonna have to pick some for sake of the show but i'm gonna go ahead and start with jameson crowder um it's great that chris brought him up because that's the narrative around alex smith is that alex smith is only going to throw to the open guy. He doesn't do those Tony Romo tight window throws, which is why Dak Prescott's got Des Bryant basically kicked to the curb and to no fault of Dak because Des Bryant was no longer getting separation as seen by any Cowboys game that you watched last season. Um, the only inter- the only receptions that I really saw personally were receptions where Dak did make the tight window throw that he isn't typical to make and Des Bryant made it happen. So back to Alex Smith, we're wondering what's going on with Josh Doxson and then also what's Paul Richardson going to do. But I think that Jameson Crowder is probably the most talented of them in reference to his position compared to them at their position. And he'll be open the most. He's very good at getting open. That's kind of his thing. So if you're going to say any of the Redskins receivers are going to be productive, which I'm not so sure that they will. It would have to be Jameson Crowder based on how 
Alex Smith has played in the past and how we've mentioned him favoring only one receiver in the past. Now we will see if that's sticky because last season and seasons prior, Kirk Cousins has been very good at spreading the ball around. So we're going to learn this year, is that a Kirk Cousins thing or is that a Redskins offense, Jay Gruden thing? And that's going to take us full circle to coaching tendencies. We're going to find out if it's a tendency of Jay Gruden to get the ball moving around. I'd be interested to see what he did with the Bengals because I think that Alex Smith might come into the Redskins offense and kind of be forced to put that ball around because he's not going to have Tyreek Hill. He may have Jordan Reed that we're not really factoring in too much because he's probably going to be injured. That's going to segue me into uh, your quarterbacks to target because I don't think that Alex Smith is a bad quarterback to target. Are you any more aggressive on any quarterbacks since you have created the adjusted QBR? Because I'd like to bring in from last week Addison's example from his website, ffstatistics.com, how he was able to recognize how incredibly efficient Matthew Stafford was in terms of completions. And he happened to join a league where completions were weighted in fantasy points. So he was able to get Matthew Stafford very late because he was able to utilize his own research. Utilizing your research, are you able to find any quarterbacks that are maybe more efficient than we think? Um, I would say that the quarterbacks I'm targeting more heavily right now, and it's strange to think you can say this, (laughs) but I'm targeting Drew Brees. (laughs) Because apparently no one's willing to stop giving up on Drew Brees, and he keeps being one of the best quarterbacks ever. So I'm really targeting Drew Brees. And to go over with a, maybe a different type of quarterback I'm targeting, I think Case Keenum is a really good value right now. But outside of value, I think he was a lot more efficient last year people probably think of him more as being created by Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen, which I think is definitely the point. Those two are incredibly talented wide receivers. I want them in every league. My hardest decision about them is I want both of them, and both of them probably can't be top 24 wide receivers every year because that's fairly rare. Um, But I think they're both really good, as is Kyle Rudolph, definitely good, in the same way that you were saying about I want to talk about the Washington Depth chart again because I want to do <laughs> draft capital and Jamison Crowder is... So, yeah, I definitely think Case Keenum was a lot more efficient last year than we think of him by himself. Try not... Like, adjusting QBR didn't take everything out. It's not, like, purely removing this, the awesomeness of the receivers he had to work with, nor the play calling, nor this is weird. He did it once and hasn't done anything before although he did get Jeff Fisher several times before that, so and that might explain something. He was incredible. Uh, as, as far as I can isolate what he did versus where he was and what they were doing, he was incredibly efficient last year, probably more efficient than you'd think. He actually comes out top five in the adjusted QPR, and even total QPR, which is a, a slightly different adjusted way uh, of looking at QBR that's on player profile, it was top four. Yeah, he's definitely someone that piqued my interest after doing that article and looking at solely what he did in terms of money, throws, and interceptable passes, and adjusting it the way QBR traditionally does, using that formula. 
And I'm going to kick it to Chris to finish us off here in just a second. But I'd like to mention that the reason that we do this podcast is to provide practical applications so that you can take what you learn here and basically produce a quality fantasy roster. And I'm assuming just off the top of my head that both Case Keenum and Drew Brees scored very highly on your adjusted QBR, correct? Yes, definitely. They were both top five and that was better than what QBR had them as it stood before it was adjusted. Um, and so both of them were incredibly efficient last year. Like um, I, I, I'm still having a hard time believing I have to convince people that Drew Brees is efficient. If he is 52 years old and taking the field with a walker, bet on Drew Brees. Okay, just there, there you go. There is no situation you don't say he's not the number one quarterback. I'm betting on Drew Brees. Just always bet on Drew Brees. And this might be... A start of a decline, but I would be very surprised if it is because when you adjust it through money throws and interceptable passes, he was incredibly efficient last year. It was just what they were doing. They had these two running backs killing it in the other area of the game, so he didn't need to do as much. I'm convinced that's what it was. And um, Case Keenum was also incredibly efficient through adjusted QBR, yes. And I'd like to mention that those were two players that I was targeting, especially Case Keenum, for his extremely cheap price tag and just being younger but before i had even read the adjusted qbr article so that's great to have stats to back up something that you were already doing and why we do this show so you know where to go look to get that edge because had i not been targeting case keenum and drew Brees before i would be now and i think it's going to pay off in dividends in the future that's awesome um i just want to mention a few things there are a few things that I think might be of interest to you uh, or anyone listening. A few things is that uh, I'm actually working on looking at breakout QBs of a recent history, like quarterbacks that surprised by turning up in the top 12 specifically. And I'm writing, I'm trying to write up an article for the two QBs draft kit. Uh, two QBs actually reached out to me and said uh, exactly that. Could you look at that? And if you find anything, maybe we'll put it in there. So I'm working really hard to find something good. And right now, Drew Brees and Keenum definitely sticking out through efficiency. Drew Brees wouldn't be a surprise entry into the top 12, though. Keenum probably might be with the way he's being drafted right now, but I'm not finished looking for what makes a good quarterback, a surprising good quarterback. The other thing is uh, the projection model I've been working on is actually for Roto Underworld. They're creating the world's greatest draft kit. Uh, In quotes, you've probably seen that promo video, and that's where the projection model is going. It's going into the Roto Underworld draft kit. It's going to be on every player page. Roto Underworld has been really helpful in allowing me to use their numbers to create the adjusted QBR metric and also uh, to use their data to try and help me with my projections as well. And I don't think I mentioned that yet. So I want to, I want to thank Matt Kelly and Roto Underworld for allowing me the chance to do that as well. Got all the plugs tonight. No, I'm just really great. I, I don't know this is a show thing, but I'm just really grateful like because um, everyone's saying nice things, but doing nice things as well. Like two QBs just giving me free reign. We're like, go go have fun with quarterbacks. See what you can find. Or Matt Kelly, a character in and of himself, just uh, just letting me try to put an article on his website. It's been um, the shout outs aren't artificial is what I'm saying. It's um, I'm generally great, grateful to Justin Freeman and generally grateful to play a profiler and DLF as well for just uh, allowing me to do this stuff. So uh, 
Sorry for all the plugs. No, like, we want yeah. as many resources as possible. That's kind of the point of the show to make owners better. So as many resources as we can put out, that is uh, phenomenal. Yeah, hundred percent. And the last thing that, or the last person that I think we should plug before we get out tonight is you, Peter. I mean, you've <laughs> taken the time. I mean, to kind of come in here and talk with us tonight and uh, give us all the knowledge of work that uh, of all the excellent work that you've done so can you let the folks know like where they can find you at like whether it be through roto underworld twitter or, or what have you yeah sure i don't know I, I should deserve a plug at all but um i will try to help anyone who um wants as much as i can that's basically i see myself as trying to fill in the gaps you've got all these smart guys out here doing awesome work finding new metrics but they're really busy so <laughs> i want to chase up their work and keep updating like the trends they notice and and try to make those numbers accessible because for my I started just for myself right I just I wanted to know and so I just started posting it as well you can find me uh, on Twitter at PA howdy and I I write it for DLF that's my home it's a really awesome snug warm friendly place to work so I'm very grateful to Dynasty League football for allowing me to write for them and and that's where you can find most of my work and most of my articles as well outside of that Twitter's the best place or shoot me a DM shoot me an email or just outright ask me and if I can find it I'll probably I'll find it for you (laughs) and try and get it to you so those are the places you can find me Right. And I think that's it for tonight. And uh, again, uh, again, a huge thank you to you, Peter, for coming on. And I think that just about does it. It wraps it up. I think we have to definitely have you back, Peter, and have to try and rack your brain a little bit more for some statistical info. But for now, uh, Adam, can you let the people know where they can find you at? Yes. Yeah, so thank you for joining us for episode eight. And we've also got P. Howdy lined up next week for uh, – wide receiver report and i can't wait to take what we learned today and put it in to um the wide receiver report but you can find me at dhh underscore adam and also we've got a new handle for the podcast at dynasty manual so please go give that a follow give us a like give us a share uh rate us review us subscribe all those good things we appreciate you guys very much Man, you just hit like all the verbs at once for what the, what the good folks need to do tonight. And uh, you I can practiced. Find me, I know you must have. I would have like tripped all over those words like all day long. But uh, you can find me on Twitter at Chris Allen FFWX. We appreciate you guys coming out again tonight, and we'll catch you guys next week. It's automatic dynasty. It's automatic owner's manual. It's automatic dynasty. It's automatic.